in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry. Brian, my partner in crime, how are you doing? Allegedly. Allegedly crime. Alleged crime. That's right, the crime that we don't know what it was, but uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well because, and I'm excited because we got a first-time guest. I love first-time guests. Joining us today is Joseph Joey Powell from the D.C. We're Maryland suburbs of D.C. area. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Joey, can you tell the people at home what it is you do for a living and uh, about yourself? Uh, my name is Joseph. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., and I work as an endocrinology PA at a hospital here. Wow, that sounds pretty technical. What is endocrinology again? Uh, hormones. I like it, but got to get you warmed up here with some questions. What is the last movie you saw, Joey? Lord of the Rings, Return of the King on TBS. I was on TV there the other day. On TV? How long did that take? Oh, it was like five hours <laughs> of just laying on the couch. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, they will they will rope you in. You're watching big, and then the next minute you look up and you realize like four hours have gone by. Yeah, and when all that's done, doing. you can watch ten hours of Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, what is the grossest movie moment that you had? There's a couple. Um, I think Fish Boy from <laughs> uh, House of a Thousand Corpses kind of stuck with me for a while. That's Rand Wilson, Dwight from The Office. Exactly. Yep. And I actually <laughs> just remember thinking about that. I Googled it, and I was surprised to see that it was Dwight. Um, and then I think Ravenous, when they eat humans, and okay, just thinking about the scenes from uh, The Human Centipede there. That, that was kind of, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that one's awful. Oh, yeah, that that is that's definitely mine as well. Uh, it's so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. Yeah, this is going to shock a lot of our, our listeners, but I have never seen Human Centipede. Don't. I never planned to watch Human Centipede. It's literally, it's one of those things where I've seen and heard enough in recreations and satire. I feel very solid not having seen it, and yeah. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It just has no redeeming qualities at all. And some for some reason, they made a sequel out of this. So uh, Wow, a sequel? Ugh. Yeah, because I don't know anybody who got done with that and said, you know what I need to know? What happens next? Well, I'll tell you this. You know, that sounds like a really good fantasy football last place punishment. Oh, watching Human Centipede? <laughs> One and two? two oh. No, no, yeah. Oh, that's that. That's gonna hang with you forever. It does. It does. I remember I was I was at home alone. It was an evening, and then I was just like, everyone talks about this movie. I gotta know what's going on with this thing. And I'm sitting there eating my pizza at dinner time, watching this movie. Which that's not a good way to watch this movie at all while you're eating. No. So Joey, what was the first movie you saw with your wife Samantha? Uh, we saw The Wolf of Wall Street together. 
Um, I loved it, and she hated it. Wanted to leave halfway through it, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Ah, so she didn't care for it then. Yes, she was appalled by the male behavior. It is pretty hard to watch. Of course. <laughs> like that's Maybe she didn't like the uh, little people bowling. And hey, oh, yeah. I said little people. <laughs> I said little people. Allegedly. Yes, allegedly. Joey, what was the worst movie ticket you have ever purchased? Uh, I think in high school, I bought a ticket to see Bulletproof Monk. Um, and I, I went with, we like drank before. And I mean, I was, you know, a hyperactive teenager, couldn't sit still. And I just remember being bored and intoxicated and wanted to leave. It was not a good experience. So not a good time at Bulletproof Monk. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention to it and it wasn't interesting. And I would rather be running around or chasing girls. So it's, it's not, not my thing. That was also not a good movie. No, it sucked. It had the guy <laughs> from American Pie in it. Um, what's his name? Stifler? Sean William Scott? Uh, uh, Stifler. Yeah, it's Stifler. Yeah. Yeah, so... F- I'm sorry, like, I want to apologize to Sean William Scott ahead of time, but he will always and forever be Stifler. Like, it is a name totally, it's so cemented in my mind that I have to grasp for his real name. It's just easier to say Stifler. You know, you know, there's a lot of people who have said that. You're not the only one who have said that. Uh, Sean William Scott, to me, I, I will always be able to keep it apart because, I mean, Partially because I love Dude, Where's My Car, as I've mentioned before. Uh, he's really good in that movie. And uh, I actually, that's the first thing I think of when I think of him. But uh, no, he's, he's certainly <laughs> Stifler, too. He, is, he was good in that episode of It's Always Sunny, where he played Bad Mac or Good Mac. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was good in that. So, Brian, what movie are we doing today? Oh, man, uh, this was a first time for me. I thought I'd seen this before, and I was completely wrong. So today we are doing Jean-Claude Van Damme's Bloodsport. That's right. It comes out in 1988. It grosses $11.8 million. It places at 81st in the box office. That doesn't sound real high, but I mean, uh, it's tucked in between two well-known franchises, between Hellraiser 2, or sorry, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 at number 80, and Caddyshack 2 at 1982. And it's better than Caddyshack 2, that's for sure, which is one of the most disappointing movies that's ever been made. Yeah, I was going to say, Russ, man, that's uh, that's not distinguished company to be sandwiched between. I don't know. The Hellraiser series, you know, I mean, it's it's got a lot of cachet. And, you know, Caddyshack's a well-known name. But would people know what Hellraiser 2 was if it wasn't the sequel to Hell- Hellraiser? Like, you could have tossed in, like, Giant Bagman 3 or something like that, and people would be like, oh, that's equally unrecognizable. Well, it'd be an interesting thing to like study for like how does the Bloodsport series, the four Bloodsport movies, stack up next to the four, and I think now five Hellraiser movies. Whoa! I like that Bloodsport went to three. That's news to me. No, they've been trying to sell me Bloodsport four since I bought <laughs> one for this podcast. Like, not not two or three, just four. And I'm like, dude, I'm watching one. <laughs> Leave me alone. At least give them to me in order. Well, there's no way you'll be able to understand the plot of four if you don't see two and three. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it's important stuff. You want to know what happened before, right? So, uh, Rain Man is the number one movie from that year, from 1988, and IMDb gives us a 6.8, and the critics for Rotten Tomatoes it gives it a 39%, which is really low, but the audience score gives it a 74%, which this is one of the greatest 
changes or the greatest gaps in critic opinion and audience opinion. So we've never seen such a disparity between the two. That's interesting. That's an interesting People love it, but the critics don't. You just have to, I mean, I think there's a lot of movies out there that you just have to love for what it is. I mean, if you took this, if you were, I went to film school at wherever and you sat down and watched this movie, I could easily see someone like super pretentious just burying this movie alive. But if you watch it for what it was, which it's really cool because I got to walk into this new and not very many movies we've done. I've never seen. So I got to walk into this new and man, there were parts where I was like, yeah, blood sport. You know, like I just got to have pure fun with it. Yeah. You just need to know what you're getting in for. You can have fun with this movie for sure. I was going to mention the awards though. Uh, there's no Oscars or golden globes for this one, but, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is nominated for worst new star for the golden raspberries. Uh, yeah. It's one you don't want to win, but uh, don't worry. He did not win that award. He was not the worst new star. So, Joey, had you seen this movie before? What was your background with it? Uh, oh, yeah. I saw it. I remember seeing it, it was probably on our black and white TV in the kitchen when I was, like, you know, a kid. It came out in the late 80s, and I just remember thinking it was so awesome watching these people fight each other. Um, and it was on TBS. Again, they play this on TBS. And it was just it was heavily edited. But it was, yeah, I watched it as a kid thinking it was amazing. Never really saw it all the way through because it would be on like in the afternoon randomly with commercials. But it came on multiple times and I always watch it. And probably I saw the whole thing in, in different increments over over the years. And then, then uh, when I was 18, uh, I bought the DVD when I saw it for sale and then watched on the DVD. And that was a whole new experience because you got to see the unedited version of it, which was great. Yeah, and I've been enjoying it ever since. So the DVD gave you all those bad words that you weren't hearing before. Yeah, and yeah, and the um, un just violence, the great violence. Yes, violence. That's why we're here. Now, Brian, what about you? You mentioned that you had not seen this movie before. What was it like coming into it your first time? Oh, like I said, it was it was exciting. I I kind of knew anytime I see Jean Claude, I'm like, all right, well, you know what you're getting into here. So I got to go into it basically knowing exactly what I was about to watch, and then I just got to be excited by it. Um, it is worth mentioning that since I don't have a cool story around watching this for the first time, that IMDb does have a 1988 movies ranked by Zzzorf, and he has this ranked as the number seven movie of 1988, sandwiched between Child's Play and Ernest Saves Christmas. Um, I will give you the grain of salt too. He has both all three of those movies ranked above his number 13th ranked Die Hard. Wow. Die Hard. Below those? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there's... there's. Uh, What's his number one? Uh, I'm, I'm actually behind his number one. No, I'm behind his number one. His number one and number two. Uh, number one, he has Land Before Time. And number two, he has Willow. No. So I, I can... Okay, well... Yeah. Yeah, that's solid. Number three, he has Naked Gun. Yeah, this is not a bad list, then. I mean, he just has disrespected Die Hard. Exactly. Yeah. 
As for me, this was my first time coming to the movie, <clears throat> and it's been on my queue for a while because uh, my good friend and your good friend, Brian, uh, Brett, who lives in New York, uh, went up to visit him with Mary and uh, a few years ago, and his wife mentioned Bloodsport. And I'm not sure how it came up, but it came up unprompted. It wasn't like, what's your best fa- fighting movie? It wasn't your best um, action movie. It wasn't like an 80s movie that you really love. It just came up really quickly to the top of her list, just like... One of my favorite movies is Bloodsport. You have to see it. We should watch it right now. And we didn't actually end up seeing it because time was actually short. We didn't have time to squeeze it in. And Brett was not feeling it. Uh, so I wasn't sure. But I was genuinely curious, what is this Bloodsport movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme? And so uh, it's been a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. So returning to it now is like four years of anticipation. This is Bloodsport. It stuns me. I'm, I'm sitting here stunned that that's her recommendation. <laughs> I was just like, oh. Okay. Yeah, it seems surprising. I mean, you never know where, who's going to recommend a movie. So. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I think I wish I had gotten it when I was Joey's age because it would have been better at a young age. It makes an impact. Yeah, but this is the movie Alla recommended, so can't wait to see it. I'm going to change up my movie recommendations to Brett from now on, just focusing on other Bloodsport esque titles. Yeah. Check out Double Impact or Sudden Death. <laughs> Time cop. <laughs> you guys need to see this amazing movie. It's called Street Fighter. Oh, Street Fighter. <laughs> you know, this that's. Is... I've, do you remember the Double Dragon movie? I do. The live do. action Double Dragon movie? I like do. That. <laughs> I liked it when I was younger. I did too. I, I did. But, you know, if I had seen this movie when I were younger, I'm pretty sure I would have gone around the house kicking in the air and, like, you know, doing kicks in the mirror and everything. Oh, yeah. For sure. I kind of did that today. <laughs> did you now? It was like seeing your, your fighting games come to life. Yeah. I could see Brian just doing roundhouse kicks in front of the mirror. <laughs> I'm just holding my foot well above my head because I can do that. Clearly. Yeah, and Mary came home and seeing me uh, doing a split between two of the dining room chairs. So uh, when she came home, <laughs> that's the iconic scene. Absolutely, but we're gonna have to spoil this movie to get into it. So if you haven't seen Bloodsport, you may want to turn it off at this point. Go watch the movie and then come back and listen to us. We'll be back after these messages. President Donald J. Trump here from the White House. You know, America, we don't win anymore. Our podcasts are going over to seas to India. They're leaving across the border to Mexico. They're going to China. It's very sad to see, really. America, I win at everything I do. And if you want to win, too, you got to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and get the Retro Movie Roundtable, an amazing, luxurious five-star review, and comment. Tell them how to make the show better, and they, too, will win like I do. That's not all we're going to win by going to like the show on Facebook, and Facebook is going to pay for it, believe me. Also, email the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Do this, and we will bring great podcasts back to America, like my favorite podcast, The Retro Movie Roundtable. Soon you will see we are winning again, and you are going to win so much, you're going to get tired of winning. We're going to win more than Charlie Sheen. Believe me, I know Charlie. He's a very reasonable man and a very good friend of mine. This message was endorsed by President Donald Trump. And we're back. And as mentioned before, we are going to spoil this movie. So, Joey, remind people what happens in Bloodsport in 1988. All right. 
So Bloodsport is the story of Captain Frank Dukes, who travels to Hong Kong to win the most dangerous fighting tournament on Earth, the Kumite. The movie opens with a montage of tough guy karate types chopping boards in slow motion. Immediately after the montage, we meet our hero Frank Dukes, played by expert martial artist Jean-Claude Van Damme. Dukes is set to leave for the USA when he takes one last look at the sword on his mantle, and we are treated to an extended flashback sequence that sheds some light on his backstory. In the flashback, we learn Dukes was the new kid in town, and he had fallen in with the wrong crowd, and he was caught burglarizing the home of Ninja Master Tanaka. Tanaka is kind of the Mr. Miyagi of Bloodsport. Anyways, Tanaka's kid, who is half the age of Dukes, kicks the him but dukes takes it like a man <laughs> tanaka is impressed with his spirit and recruits dukes as a sparring partner for his son we watch dukes level up from punching bag to skilled fighter in the second montage of the movie towards the end of the montage tanaka's son dies somehow so frank is trained to represent house tanaka and the kumite the next scene is present day 80s hong kong Frank is riding on a bus from the airport when he hears an obnoxious American hitting on a visibly uncomfortable but unattractive Hong Konger. She is clearly (laughs) annoyed, but the American persists, and Frank is amused. They head to the same hotel and meet again and become fast friends. The American is none other than Jackson, played by Donald Gibb, best known for playing Ogre in The Revenge of the Nerds. Shortly after meeting Jackson, Frank meets Janice, a hot young journalist who is in Hong Kong from America to cover the Kumite. The next morning, Frank and Jackson are off to Kumite orientation. They are assigned the savvy Mr. Lin from the International Fighting Association as their escort. They are taken to a seedy part of Hong Kong that Mr. Lin explains is controlled by mainland China. They arrive at the arena. They meet the ridiculous Chong Li there. He is like the Ivan Drago of Bloodsport. (laughs) After some palpable tension with Chong Li, Frank and Jackson call a day and head back to the hotel. At the hotel, Frank finds a Saudi Kumite fighter, he's actually Syrian, I learned later, assaulting the attractive American reporter from earlier. Frank comes to the rescue using his wits instead of his fists. Janice is charmed, but they part ways for the night. The next morning is Kumite day one of three. Jackson wins the first fight against a little guy with a single bop to the head. The crowd goes wild. Jackson taunts Chong Li, who is unimpressed. The villainous Chong Li is up next. He has a ruthless fighting style and seems to be almost invincible. He disposes of his opponent in record time. Next, we finally get to see Frank Dukes in action. He handles his opponent with style and honor, even after a dirty attack. Then we have another montage, and we see fighters battling diverse martial arts styles, and the movie's theme song, Hearts on Fire, plays only adding to the excitement. Day one wraps up, and our hero heads back to the hotel where he meets Janice again. He takes her out to dinner, and they make love beautifully with Hong Kong skyline as a backdrop. (laughs) Day two of the Kumite opens with a classic montage of slow-mo fighting and amazing choreography. Frank fights honorably and wins all of his matches handedly. He wins one fight by using his famous split followed by a crotch punch. Chong Li continues to ruthlessly dominate. A highlight of day two is when the giant sumo guy fights the monkey-style guy. The climax, though, is when Jackson and Chong Li fight. Jackson hangs in there for a short time, but is ultimately knocked unconscious after he gets too cocky. Chong Li takes Jackson's headband off his unresponsive body as a trophy. After the kumite, Janice begs Frank not to fight in day three. She's fallen in love with him and couldn't bear it if he were hurt too. Day three. Frank wakes up early to mediate from his inevitable showdown with Chong Li. We see Frank doing a split above the building of Hong Kong, and it's so sweet. 
Frank and Chong Lee easily win their first fights of the day, and then it's time for the boss battle, the final showdown, Dukes versus Chong. Chong talks Frank by tying Jackson's bandana to his leg. An epic fight filled with slow-mo, flying kicks, and brutal punches ensues. Chong cheats and blinds Frank, but then Dukes goes beast mode and beats Chong down brutally and then forces him to submit. After winning the kumite, Frank returns Jackson's bandana. They pledge to remain BFFs for life. He says goodbye to his temporary love interest, and then he heads back to the States to resume his career in the U.S. Army. That had a lot of soul, man. (laughs) A lot of soul in that. It was sincere. This story is allegedly based on a true story, as they mentioned at the end of the movie. There is a real Frank Du, or sorry, Dukes. I keep wanting to say like Du, like part Du. It's Dukes, like put your Dukes up. That's right. So he's a real guy. I don't know. Joey, did you read anything about about the uh, real Frank Dukes? Oh, I read a lot about the real Frank Dukes. So, you know, he is, uh, he allegedly, he claims to have competed in the Kumite. His version, though, was in Nassau, Bahamas. But this is... No extradition. Yeah. And there's no, there's no evidence of of him winning any tournament fights in the Bahamas, though. Um, And so a lot of this is from Frank's word of mouth. He, he, you know, he... um, allegedly trained and won the kumite um he opened a fighting gym in california and trained the stars he trained some very famous people in california he also claims to have trained uh navy seals he also has an interesting anecdote about fighting john claude van damme on the set of Bloodsport. he apparently backed john Cla- intimidated john claude van damme by challenging him to a fight on a ledge and john claude said you're crazy dukes and backed off um, so yeah, the Dukes, he's an interesting character with, uh, a lot of, with an interesting history. So much of what he says has been refuted by the internet or other various sources, but who's to say one thing's for sure. Uh, I guess he does really know martial arts and he does own a dojo and he's trained many people. So maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but it sure makes a good movie whether it did or did not. So. Oh yeah. It makes, it's great entertainment. Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is his breakthrough movie, so to speak. It's it's an early one for him. He's a he's from Belgium. He is a martial artist at age ten, and actually he does ballet also through his teenage years. He learns from his father in his father's karate school, and he learns a combination of Shotokan, karate, and kickboxing. And so by age eighteen, he's a black belt, and he fights competitively. And so from seventy six to nineteen eighty. Van Damme himself compiled a record of 44 victories and four defeats in tournament and non-tournament semi-contract matches. And so from 77 to 82, he compiled a record of 18 victories and only one defeat. So uh, he's a pretty accomplished fighter in his own right, but that's when he comes to America in order to be in the movies. And he's, he's an extra in a few movies, meets Chuck Norris, the infamous Chuck Norris. And uh, they develop a friendship. They spar together. And then through that, later on blossoms. He's in a movie called No Retreat, No Surrender. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So he's in a movie called No Retreat, No Surrender. And, and then uh, that leads him to get this movie in Bloodsport. So what do we think about Jean-Claude Van Damme, both as a fighter as well as what is his acting ability, Brian? Uh, I mean, it depends on the, the movie you're depicting him in. Um, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, it's enjoyable. He's a very entertaining person. I don't mean that backhandedly either. Yeah, I think he gets in his roles because obviously he he's 
because of his skilled physical abilities. I don't think he exhibits the same emotional depth that some of these other tough guys like Schwarzenegger or Stallone are capable of doing sometimes. So, but I also would keep him above like Seagal too. So I don't know if that's a fair. Do you think that there's like a boardroom meeting happening and they're like, what would really make this movie pop? I know a guy who can do a split. Get Jean-Claude in on this. We need a split in this movie. In fact, make it three splits. I was going to save this for later, but uh, Price is Right rules. You, you Guess how many splits Jean-Claude Van Damme does in this movie without going over. Joey. Um, at least three. Okay, you got three. Brian, how many splits? I, I feel like Joey has, has maybe opened a door here for me, so I'm going to go seven. Seven, exactly. Oh, man. Oh, Ding, ding, ding. Brian, come on down. I should have said four. Yeah, just to be a jerk. I'd be like, ah, four. <laughs> got to be more than three. Yeah, you, you could also do the, uh, the the Price is Right $1 bid, too. So <laughs> One. One split, Bob. Joey, are you a fan of fighting movies? And if so, how does this, how does this rank into your fighting movies? So I was a huge fan of fighting movies, especially in my teenage and younger 20s. I still like them, but I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan anymore. This is a fighting movie. This is probably the best one, I think. I think this is my favorite fighting movie. I think I really like Mortal Kombat 1. Um, I like Big Trouble in Little China, which is another good one. But this has Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is, you know, the premier actor of the 90s. And he's jacked, and nobody else can do those splits, like you said. So I think this is the best one. It's got a perfect uh, buildup, and there's a boss battle. It's got everything you need in a fighting movie. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, do you want to give us a cast rundown? Uh, absolutely. Um, this was a fairly unknown cast, uh, to me at least. Well, first we start with, of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme playing Frank Dukes. We also have Donald Gibb playing Jackson. you got to give him his uh, love for being in Revenge of the Nerds. Over. Nerds! Lee Ayers playing Janice. Norman Burton playing Helmer, Forrest Whitaker in a thrilling performance as Rawlings, uh, Roy Chow as Tanaka, Felt Chan as Captain Chen, Pierre Raffini as Young Frank, Bolo Young as Chong Lee, Ken Sui as Victor, and that's where I lose all confidence at pronouncing names. Kim Leo Kwaki. That was good. No, that was really good. I just, I yeah, I wasn't pulling that one off. Yeah. His his movie name's Hero. That's kind of cool. A couple of casting notes here. Again, it was mentioned that Jean-Claude Van Damme was an actual skilled fighter. We actually also got to see Paolo Toka plays the Muay Thai fighter, and Paco is actually a real-life Muay Thai champion himself. So he is also a skilled fighter as well. So For sure. And Bolo Young was in Enter the Dragon. Um, he's a very skilled fighter as well. That That's in a high echelon for me for fighting movies. Enter the Dragon? Yeah, that's a, it's a bit next level. Yes, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, he plays a similar role as well. Uh, and both uh, Roy Chiao was in Enter the Dragon as well. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they both kind of had similar roles because Roy Chiao had like this mentor kind of uh, role and Bolo Young, as you mentioned, he has the tournament opponent that was a tough guy to overcome. Yeah. 
It's a little typecast there. Oh, Bolo. Yeah, Bolo's. If you need a if you need a South Korean bully, who's who's a, who's the favorite, but is going to get upset. He's your man. It's all those muscles. Yeah, he does the Terry Crews like boom, 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 like uh, the Old Spice. Like oh, d- like, yeah. His he he has spectacular pet control. He's, you know, I think he was in his fifties when he did Bloodsport. No, like that, really? I, I think he was in his fifties. Oh man! Well, yeah, he's back. I, I will look into that as we proceed. Yeah, he was born in nineteen forty-six, and Bloodsport came out in what eighty-eight. Yes. That's yes. Nuts. Man, a he doesn't look that old, and b, yeah, I don't know. I might believe Frank Duke's story more than I believe that guy's age. <laughs> So co-writer Sheldon Lech came up with the idea for the film, and he uh, actually had known Frank Dukes for a number of months before and came up for the idea for Bloodsport, and he was told a lot of tales from Frank. And he himself later said, and these are his quotes, a lot of this turned out to be BS later. Uh, his stories were participating in the so-called Kamuti... K- Kumite. The so-called this Kumite. Is, this was a word... This is word that got thrown around a lot in college, and I am only now beginning to understand. Okay. So the so-called Kumite, and it's an event that sounded like a great idea for a movie, so he wanted to write one about this one guy who introduced him to it. So he talked to somebody who knew Frank, and his name was Richard Bender, and he claimed to have been there at the Kumite event and swore that everything he told him was true. However, a few years later, after the movie comes out, he then has a uh, falling out with Frank. So uh, Richard Bender then told Sheldon Litch that everything that he told him was not true and that Frank had told me what to say and I passed it on. What I did was a lie and uh, Frank coached me along the way. So uh, this is, again, an example of many of the Internet is it true or not kind of things. So the co-writer himself is one of those people like, did it happen? Did it not happen? Does it matter? It's still a fun movie. Agreed. I'm pretty sure the first rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about it, though. Yeah, you don't talk about Kumite. <laughs> I love how easily the reporter got into the fight. Like, after she's just, like, dogging him all, like, to tell her about Kumite, and then, like, she's just like, ah, you know, I acted like a hussy, and here I am. <laughs> it's like, that was super easy for her. Like, super easy for her to get into that, so... So what, what, yeah, let, let's let's talk about that. The reporter role, or as uh, she's known in this, is Janice. Uh, Joey, do we like her role in this? Not a lot of character development for old Janice. She's there as a to kind of, um, I guess, endear the audience to Frank, and so you know, give him a love interest. Other than that, she doesn't really do much. The very first thing with Janice, I don't know how well that holds up. Where they're gambling for her, and he. Uh, he trick. He does his little gambling trick to to beat the um, Syrian gentleman into uh, conceding Janice to him for the night. More on that in a second, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. That she she doesn't seem to take well to that at least at first. But uh, he's doing it to at least get this dude to back off. So I don't know that he was. I took it that he wasn't really betting on her. He was just trying to get this guy to go away in a bet that he knew that he wouldn't lose. Yeah, I see your point. But uh, still, it's, it, it was. I don't think they would make that scene today. I don't know though. No, they wouldn't. I think this. I think this movie would be made in a lot of different ways today. And furthermore, about the guy that he's uh, the Syrian guy that you're talking to, that guy is just straight up Asian. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
And he, he's he's in the in IMDb. It says he's the Syrian. They had him listed as a Syrian guy, but he's wearing the Saudi Arabian headdress. So I mean, they clearly didn't put a lot of thought into the uh, the no, fun there. No, it's like they gave him a golden tooth, and they're like, "Yeah, sure, you look you look like you'd be Middle Eastern. Sure, we'll put you over there." So. Uh, if a white guy dresses up and plays an Arab, uh, that's called brown face. But I don't know if there's a term when you uh, take somebody who's Asian and then you they play somebody who's Middle Eastern. So uh, um, I don't know. What is that? I think they're being lazy. <laughs> the laziness. They're lazy. Yeah. That, that, that kept bothering me the whole time. I was like, what is with this guy's headdress? Did he beat up somebody from the Middle East? And the <laughs> fact that you read that in the credits is... Uh, as the Syrian, that that more than confirms it. I was just like, there's no way he's actually from the Middle East, right? <laughs> like, is he just like an oil lord who's like from Asia, but like he went over there and like he's like rich and this is what he does in his fun time? Like, we're gonna find out more on this. And I I was I was that like irked by it to the point where it's just like, there's going to be more to this, and we're gonna find out what this guy's deal is. Not not a lot of backstory for Hussein. No, no, he just gets his gold tooth knocked out. Oh yeah, and, and, and pilfered. It. Yeah, and pilfered by the squeegee guy. Oh, I love it. Yeah, when he put he bites down on the tooth to see if it's real. Oh, it's a great scene. Uh, so again, this movie, I was really shocked to see uh, Donald Gibbs' character, who we know from Revenge of the Nerds. Nerds. Uh, I believe. Nerds. <laughs> yeah, I believe his character's name, and that was Meat, if I'm not mistaken. So we have uh, Meat from Revenge of the Nerds, whose name in this is Jackson, and he meets Frank in getting ready for the Kumonte. Uh, I'm probably going to suck at this whole, whole, whole episode. The Kumite. 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 I've literally heard the na- or the word so much. Like, you don't understand, Russ, how often I heard. Like, as soon as they said it in this movie, I was like, oh, that explains a lot of college. So I thought for sure we were going to get into a pre-tournament fight between these two because it's like the biggest guy in the room is going to like pick a fight with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character. But surprisingly, they end up being friends. And I have to say their friendship is probably one of the parts of the movie that I actually enjoy the most. I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I don't think that Jackson has any redeeming qualities. <laughs> He's big and... Uh... He, he 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 backs his friend up at least. You know, he he's excited for his friend. Yeah, he's loyal to Frank, but I, I guess that's his one good quality. Like when you first meet him, he's sexually harassing someone. He's obnoxious. He's picking fights with everyone. He just doesn't seem very pleasant to be around. He is the obnoxious American. Yeah. Just he's got a the, beer uh, on the bus. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Uh, just, uh, one quick edit here. Uh, his character in Revenge of the Nerds is Ogre. Ogre. Well, his name should have been Meat, but yeah, Ogre. Good call. <laughs> All right, meat, meat's, Meat's fine. Yeah, he could be a Meat or an Ogre. Yeah. I, I might be confusing it. There might have been a parody at some point that changed Ogre's character into a character named Meat. So, uh, but Ogre, you're right. Ogre was right. Uh, you're right, Joey. I forgot completely. Uh, and he definitely is harassing a girl on the bus at first. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I thought that he would have been a jerk and like we were going to end up in a fight before the tournament. It's like, oh, they're not even going to wait to get in a fight. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then he's dominated in, um, in the video game and he respects that about Frank and he wins his respect and they become friends. Now, I know for a fact if you uh, beat Brian in video games, He's not just gonna like be like respect. We're friends now. He's he's gonna he's gonna get a little bit mad. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Brian will scream. I, I, yeah. I, I get I get hate in my heart. <laughs> yes, it's it's sad that Jackson is is more cool headed. Yeah, I, I, there there should have been a fight. Like at least tip the machine over. See, that's that's my reaction. I I wouldn't fight Jean Claude after it. I would have just pushed the machine over. <laughs> or or one of my favorite scenes in film history. I love Kurt Russell in The Thing when he loses his chest to the computer and he dumps his scotch onto the motherboard and the computer explodes. That is me. Like that <laughs> sums up me with video games. Yes, you're a thrower. <laughs> Just open the thing. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so many things to cut out. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my fault. <laughs> So what other fighters actually captivate you, Joey? Like, who catches your eye that you're like, man, that guy's really interesting. I want to know more. Oh, yeah. So I was the best fight, I think. I love, love, love the sumo guy versus the monkey style guy. Um, because it's it's like a mismatch. And they it, it, they're just the one giant guy and the little guy who hops around. And then he, like, catches him and crushes him. But then we get to see Frank Dukes fight the sumo guy. So he's he's my third favorite fighter, and it's probably the sumo guy. I like him a lot. I was rooting for the uh, the nimble, like lightweight yeah. guy jumping around like a lemur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had an interesting style of fighting. That was fun to watch. I love that fight. That's my, maybe my favorite fight. I wanted to know where the nationalities of these people were. I mean, obviously Bolo was from South Korea, but because it like it was on his like headdress and his trainer had like a South Korean like you know jumpsuit, but. There were some of these other people who I needed to know where they were from, especially when I called into question that if you have Asian guys playing Syrians, I'm just like, where are these other people from? Maybe that Asian guy's from Mexico. Maybe that Asian guy's from, like, Switzerland. Yes, I I agree with that. I think Paco, I speculated he was from Spain, given his, like, sash that he was wearing. I just, he reminded me of a Spanish fighter. That does seem like a good stereotype thing for him to have, so. Yes, and they like to stick to the stereotype. One thing that I want to ask you, though, is do you buy John claude Van Damme as an American? And this this is a question that you can extend to other movies, but also in this movie. Uh, he often plays an American. I buy him in this movie because they actually did a good job in the backstory of him. Because if you notice, the kid who plays him, when, the, when, he's, when it shows him as a kid, he's just moved to America and his dad is an immigrant. They don't see, say where he's from. But his dad is an immigrant explaining he came to America to find a better life and blah, blah, blah. And they got the kid who has a really, really thick accent. So they actually did a decent job at explaining his accent in Bloodsport. Okay. Okay. I, I Maybe I'm getting stuck on something that I've thought before with uh, – if, if you've ever watched the movie Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is a Pittsburgh movie and uh, it's like a Pittsburgh delicacy for me. But in that, he plays a Pittsburgh born and raised cop. And I'm just like, guys, guys, you got to do something to explain that accent. Like, there's no way. Yeah, not in a million years. Yeah, there's no way he's a blue collar steel town cop. I'm not uh, I'm not buying it. Nope. It's almost like a uh, family guy has this joke about Liam Neeson being a cowboy, <laughs> like in the Wild West. <laughs> it's like, we game up in a fortnight. Uh, get the youngins. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the Irishman and uh, Young Guns. Yep. Uh, so, again, Jean-Claude Van Damme is one of these people where I, lo- I actually, for some reason, I like him. Again, I think it has to do with the kind of movies that he's in. I always have, like, this thing with him where I think he might not be a good actor. I know, bold, hot take, right? And, like, he pulls me out of it a little bit because I never quite take him as an American, even though he's usually playing an American. Again, that, that emotional level that we kind of ask 
you know, whether it be Schwarzenegger or Stallone to go to, he just doesn't have that. So I, I like the attempts to put Janice in the movie to give him some depth because, like you said, without that, you're just relying entirely on a flashback for what's driving him. Right. And to speak to your earlier point, when Jean-Claude Van Damme played Guile, that was kind of unforgivable because Guile is like supposed to be the all-American from Street Fighter. He's supposed to be like this all-American character, and that, that always bothered me. Yeah. Yeah, but who, el- who else is going to do a flash kick? Yeah, he looks a lot like Guile, and he's got the moves. There is that. I mean, he looks he looks like he could be just he has the uh, American angry face maybe uh, down like uh, he there's a couple of scenes in this movie where the director really, really, really zooms in on the face as a style while they're fighting. And perhaps this is a good way to transition into uh, Newt Arnold's direction uh, here. I thought it was really interesting that they really went out of their way to show people's facial expression. I think it worked really well for Bolo. But there's a couple of times where they do Jean-Claude Van Damme, like where he's like, <laughs> and his like mouth is open, and it's just like, wow, you're really, you're really um, lingering on this, aren't you? Especially after he got blinded, that that's the one that comes to mind. Definitely, yeah, that's that's the worst offender. There's there's another one though where he like hits the big sumo guys. You referred to him like the giant, yep. the Asian guy, and like he like punches him like with a flat uh, palm in his stomach, and that pretty much is a finishing move for him yeah there's that like i'm charging up kind of face and uh, before he does this hit and i that was the first time that i was like i was like it's like ooh, director guy newt come on can you like uh yeah i get it yeah newt would also do this thing where they would he would show a close-up of like emotional scenes and like just like interact like interpersonal scenes between characters he would show a close-up of jean paul of jean claude and then he would show like um janice and like it would be like them looking at each other, but then it would almost always go back to Jean Claude Van Damme. There'd be like this third extra shot of Jean Claude Van Damme looking really silly. Like I noticed it like three or four times in the movie. It just like it, it didn't flow. I don't know. I didn't like it. And it could be because when this was made, uh, the production company was not happy with it, and they weren't even sure it was going to go forward. And it's actually Jean Claude Van Damme who got the final edit on this, or so the so thing so the record goes. So it wasn't edited by a more skillful hand. It was edited by your lead actor. So, you know, some of these things that we're talking about might not all fall on Newt Arnold's shoulders. It might be partially the fact that we have a actor in his breakout movie responsible also for the editing. That's interesting. But I mean, hey, it was it was between that and not coming out. So it sounded like Van Damme went out on the limb. Is like, here, like I'll do it. I'll edit it. Like, let's we have to make this come out. And it's good that it did because if it didn't, you know, we probably don't know Jean Claude Van Damme's name. He probably doesn't go in to do Time Cop and these other movies and you know, uh, Double Impact and all these other things that we've been talking about. So I'm glad he did it. Did you see? You know, I found it interesting. You know, Victor, the character Victor. Which one is Victor? Mm-hmm. Victor is the tour guide. He, I thought he was the best. The he was great. Can the tour guide who takes Ken, the, Ken Sway, the guy with yeah, the big, yeah. the guy with the big yellow glasses. Yeah, he's okay. real charismatic and funny. Yeah, um, he was a director on this movie. Oh, cool! That I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. That. I saw that on IMDb. He, uh, he was yeah, he's a director and he's done some other movies, but I thought that was interesting. He was also the second unit director on Rush Hour. Oh, nice. There's some there's some fun fighting in that too. So Newt Arnold and his style of storytelling here, I thought it was interesting. In the beginning, we see 
Jean-Claude Van Damme returning to his sensei's house, who was named uh, Tanaka. Tanaka. Yeah, so he comes back to Tanaka's house, and uh, he's he's passing away, and it's setting up the fact that he's going to go represent him at the Kumunte God at that time. And it leads into a flashback series, and my first thought was when I watched it the first time, I was like, man, there's a lot in this flashback. And I, I saw later that this thing runs 10 minutes and 56 seconds. We have an 11-minute flashback. Brian, do you like that kind of concise way of, like, we're going to give you the whole backstory right now, and it's a big block when you do it that way? Or would you have preferred to have broken it up maybe through exposition, through talking with Janice, or through a series of flashbacks where he's have, having a moment of reflection and you get the pieces of the story for what led him to here. No, I think there's nothing worse than interrupting a flow of a movie uh, multiple times by going back to like a peaceful uh, flashback. It's actually one of the biggest gripes I had about Lord of the Rings uh, Two Towers was you would leave an action sequence for the battle to go to Sam and Frodo wandering around aimlessly. And I was just like, oh, my God, you guys are killing me on this. So, yeah, I think I'd much rather have just give me that as the first chunk and then, you know, give me my my action stuff back. Huh. I might be more in the other camp where I like the mystery for a while. And it was like, what is it that why does he have to do this? There's no prize necessarily for this. Like, what is driving him? And then, like, you maybe find out 50 percent into the movie or two thirds into the movie. Joey, where do you stand on that? Do you do you want to know up front, like with this big 11-minute flashback, or would you prefer to get it in segments? Um, the the 11-minute flashback was a little much. It, it, it was almost like a, another little. It was another movie within a movie. I mean, I think in segments would have been a little bit better in this one. I mean, they're I they want you to care about Frank. I mean, most of the movie is is just like fisticuffs, so it's it's good to build his character a little bit prior to all the fighting oh it is good that you have a favorite going in and they go out of their way to make bolo a pretty bad dude i mean there's there's no re- you mentioned that jackson has no redeeming qualities bolo in particular seems to have no redeeming qualities he's he's just a straight-up villain oh i want to know his story like how did he get like that what happened to him what has he done yeah why does he just go stepping on people and punching people in the neck and killing them all the whole time yeah like why is he so angry and jacked like why yeah, there is actually a 1979 action comedy out of France called Bolo, starring Bolo. Oh, really? Wow. Well, I might have to watch that. Maybe. So yeah, it's like Creed. There's the extended universe of Bloodsport. Maybe there's an extended universe uh, out there. Sorry, an extended universe of Rocky. Maybe there's a extended universe of Bloodsport out there. We have not gone. To any of the other four movies, I should say. Joey, I'm assuming you haven't proceeded past the first Bloodsport? Uh, I've caught some of Bloodsport 2 used to also be on TBS sometimes. Um, and I, I caught a little bit of it. But it, I, even as a kid, I knew it wasn't as good. So <laughs> I haven't really... There's no Jean-Claude Van Damme in any of the sequels, as I understand. Yeah, so what's the point? Well, like... Bloodsport 2 officially trans uh, transitions over into the new main character. Now, I will say this. Ogre is in Bloodsport 2, but oh. Daniel Bernhardt is the new main character, and he is there for 2, 3, and 4. Oh, well, okay. Still, I, I, I'm with Joey. Like, somehow I'm just not compelled. Like, I feel like this movie took me to a good point, and I'm good with that. Like, I don't necessarily need to follow this world farther. Here's an interesting question, though. Would you take the alleged accounts of Frank Dukes, and would you be tempted to remake this movie? Joey? Uh, absolutely. Ah, the thing is, nowadays, 
you know, this would get torn to shreds in the media. Like, people would fact-check this to death. Yeah, I would totally be interested in seeing a remake and also seeing social media go crazy on it. I would think that the fight scenes would benefit from more camera angles in today's times. And that, that is not a knock on this movie just because it, it has to do with when the movie was made. I also think that it would benefit from a better soundtrack, which we'll get to later. Somehow that pulled me out of it more than once. So. Oh, man. But you, yeah, but see, you don't like 80s music. I don't. Yeah. It's true. I really hate it. I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Russell. Oh. I think that's a, that's a classic soundtrack. Oh, well, we're going to get into it then. Um, uh, that's okay. It's though. on. Yeah. Uh, we're about to have a kumote right now. Um, <laughs> but I will say this for, for uh, Newt Arnold. The movie's 90 minutes. It does not overstay its welcome. It definitely values the fighting first, second, and third. And there's not a lot of fluff. And so at the same time that I say there's some maybe criticisms I have in how the story's told, I, I can't say that I would cut much from this movie the only thing i would cut are you know seven seconds of like face of being blinded like going with his hands like stretched up in 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 the space because if you actually did that he'd be toast so bolo would kick him like in half if he actually reacted that long so i think there's other ways of saying you're blinded but uh anyway uh do you agree brian is this is a tight ship it it does not overstay its welcome and yeah we talk so much about movies being shorter or longer or whatnot and and as you say there's you know probably 30 seconds here or 45 seconds there that could probably be trimmed off to make it a more streamlined film but no i think i i was happy with the length of this movie and uh there was a thought a thought single thought in the back of my mind at the end of this movie, like, maybe I should watch Bloodsport too. Okay. And it's interesting. I was looking at uh, Newt Arnold's library of works here. He's mostly an assistant director, and he doesn't have a lot of lead director roles. He also directed Hands of a Stranger from 62, Bloodthirst from 71, 86, Alan Quarterman and the Lost City of Gold. And in 2003, after he passes away, he has Countess Dracula's Orgy of Blood, which I don't know if that's not a compelling title than... I don't know what it is. So uh, just so you know, Russ, Alan Quartermain is Sean uh, Connery's character in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, really? Yep. Well, I'm more compelled to not watch that now. (laughs) You mean you didn't like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I mean... No, sir. I didn't like it. It was was such a compelling movie. (laughs) I love Sean Connery. I just wish that hadn't happened for him. Back to Newt, uh, back to Newt Arnold. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's much of a director, but I do think we should give him some serious credit. He's an assistant director and plays a part in the creation of uh, Godfather 2 and 12 Angry Men. He is involved with some pretty big productions, just usually more in a secondary role. So he's not a lightweight either. Nah. So, Joey, I gotta ask, do we like this setting of the Hong Kong? Like, would you rather have this movie set in the Bahamas? No, I, I think that would be a big mistake. I love, you know, the mystique of the Asian country. And it's part of the reason I wanted to, we took our honeymoon in Asia was because it, this is like one of my first introductions to just Hong Kong. It looks so neat, the big city. And I think it's a perfect setting. And like the interesting politics of Hong Kong of the 80s with China and Britain both involved. And they even mentioned in the movie about going over from the British controlled part to the Chinese controlled part. And uh, I think it was perfect. 
So can you tell me, uh, Hong Kong, it looks like one of the most modern cities and movies today, and I've not been there, so I'm only judging off of movies, which is, that's a fair way to judge a culture, right? So um, being sarcastic on that. But uh, so the imagery that we see in Hong Kong, and I want to give Newt Arnold some credit here. We get a lot of cool contextual shots of the streets, and it's just littered with signs, and there's a real high energy pace to it. But the images I see of Hong Kong today looks like it is like this electric, illuminated city do you feel like what you saw in this movie is from a different era almost than what hong kong is today yeah it looks like uh i mean it looks it's a metropolis like it's these huge buildings but yeah it's not all neon like it is today but it's it still looks like the future it looks like a futuristic city for the 80s i mean there weren't too many cities like that like it's, it's a really impressive place yeah, it, it's it's super dense for starters. And for two, I think there's a reason, like you said, it, it seems like it's futuristic in some ways, perhaps partially because of that density. But uh, when you watch Blade Runner, I, I when I'm looking at this movie, I see the influence that Ridley Scott later gets for Blade Runner because I see a lot of actual Hong Kong from this 80s movie that shapes and informs some of the decisions that Ridley Scott takes And that's, in theory, Los Angeles that he's depicting, but it feels more like Hong Kong in the 80s. Is that a fair statement, Brian? I know you're a Blade Runner fan. Uh, Yeah, I can see where pieces of that come in. So uh, when you went to Hong Kong, Joey, did you go to the gritty underground part of it and go to a Kumunte on your honeymoon? Well, we did not go to Hong Kong. We went to Thailand, Vietnam, uh, and Cambodia. But yes, I dragged my wife to a Kumunte. We went to see a uh, Muay Thai fight in a northern city in Thailand called Chiang Mai. And uh, I met one of my friends there, too. And we definitely chanted Kumite. And we went in and it got way too real, way too fast. It was like super violent. And uh, they were a little young to be that violent. And so the first fight kind of shocked us. But then the rest were more sporting fights. So, yes, we went to it wasn't anything like that. It was like blood sport, but it was uh um, it was intense. It was no joke. So did Samantha like Wolf on Wall Street more? Or did she prefer the Kumite? Samantha liked the experience overall of the Kumite. Oh, really? Um, but she, the, the first fight kind of bothered her a little bit. But uh, she, she warmed up to it. And it's, it's a cultural event. It's a whole thing. So did you guys like get desensitized? And like, you're just like, whoa, this first fight, fight's completely brutal. It's out of control. And then like by the third fight, they're just like, off with their heads, off with their heads. Yeah. Well, the other ones were more evenly matched and the fighters were older. And so the first one, it was just, I was like watching somebody get beat up. Like it was bad. So like, like, was it like a 15 year old fighting a 30 year old? Like what was so bad about the first fight? I would say it was probably two 15 year olds. Okay. And one was overmatched. Oh, and there was that. There was a lot of drama to it too. Like the school, like it was two different schools from different parts of Thailand, and, and the coaches were yelling at each other, and they ended up escorting the coach of one of the schools out of the building, um, and then he came back in and was trying to fight people. We're not a hundred percent sure that it wasn't staged for Westerner tourists, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I like it. I do. I do. Yeah, but it was a, it was definitely um, an experience. Well, I'm I'm starting to get another reason why this movie continues to stay in your heart. Then, uh, obviously, and then, like I said, uh, you got it at a younger age too. So, one of the cool things that we're talking about while we're talking about Hong Kong here, this movie is one of the few films that feature the inside of the Kowloon Walled City before its destruction. The Kowloon Walled City uh, was an, an ungoverned, densely populated settlement in Hong Kong, and it was originally a Chinese military fort. 
And the walled city became an enclave for new territories uh, that were leased to Britain by China in 1898. Its population increases dramatically. And following the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong during World War II, and so by 1990, the walled city grows to over 50,000 residents in its 2.6 hectare or 6.4 acre borders. So that's a large amount of area for you to understand. But if you Google Kowloon walled city, it does seem like it's a city built on top of a city built on top of a city. You can't go there today. Its demolition began in 1993, which is about, you know, shortly there after this movie. But it, it's kind of interesting that it recorded... Again, this is a snapshot in history of where Hong Kong was at this time. And Mary was watching this with me, and she was just astounded by these alleyways that look like they're a meter or like less than three feet wide that have like wires and pipes just running through them. And you could literally walk from one end of Kowloon Walled City to the other side without even touching the ground because you're walking through all these elevated paths of alleyways off of roofs. You had roof gardens that were then built on top of with other units and the uh, parcels inside of it were itty bitty. And uh, it's not a place that you would want to go. It was actually a place overrun by crime activity and super low income housing. And so like the police were afraid to go in there. So if you could almost imagine the Cabrini Green project that you see in Candyman, times 10 or like that built on top of itself built on top of itself so what did you think about the environment brian uh, no, i mean knowing that this is this is actually a real place uh no it's super interesting i actually found this uh schematic of a cross section of the walled city uh what it would look like i mean it literally has a cross section taken out so you can see inside of it and it's a fascinating thing and uh much the same way that they brought a lot of those images into uh say a judge dread just overpopulation on top of overpopulation uh so yeah it definitely does something for the mystique of the movie and to you know kind of show a true sense of underground when you think of how many people live on top of what just happened I, I found myself thinking like why are they not making this set maybe a little darker or whatever and then I thought this was a set. So the fact that this was, again, an actual place, I don't know. Joey, what are your thoughts? Would you want to go through a tour of the Kowloon Walled City? Yeah, that was brilliant. And it only makes the movie more interesting having it there. That was pretty pretty cool to see. Yeah, and there's, like I said, it's, it's, there are photographs of it, but there's not a lot of video taken within it. So it's, it's a little special for that. As I mentioned earlier, Sudden Death is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. The now, unfortunately, demolished Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh is uh, the setting for it, and you actually get to see the arena door open on that. So I don't know. Maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme movies make a point of capturing these architectural moments in history. Maybe I need to go back and watch Street Fighter. Maybe there's some great architectural story there. I don't know. They fight in front of falling water. Do they? No. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I I got caught on that one. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, architects are easy <laughs> i'll be there at 2 a.m in the morning after this podcast we're like where is it he told me it was in here where was the fight <laughs> is it where blanca's fighting oh blanca i gotta ask you about the wardrobe here a little bit some of these things are a little heavy-handed in terms of like the uh, arab headdress which we've hit on a number of times but other ones are more ambiguous like we don't necessarily know where they're from am i asking for too much to am i making it sillier than it really would be to see like a sense of like 
nationality? Or am I trying to turn the Kumite into the Olympics here? I, I get what you're asking for, but I think the depth and the direction of where this movie wanted to go wasn't really about, you know, it's like Beer Fest where like clearly everybody has a nationality and they're all there to represent. These are just fighters. I mean, they wanted to show diversity without putting any work into it whatsoever. So it's one of those things where they're saying it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're a fighter and you can, you know, match up in this, come fight. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm trying to turn it. It's not like we we don't need a representative of every country. We just need the best fighters in the world. I guess you're right. So, yeah, they're not representing their country. Uh, And it might have been just the fact that Bolo seemed to be so proudly from South Korea that I started thinking that. But one piece of wardrobe thing that did irk me. Did you guys notice how in the flashbacks, young Frank is wearing a San Francisco Giants hat, but also a New York Giants shirt? Uh, (laughs) No, I didn't notice that. I mean, I knew he was wearing sports stuff, but yeah. Yeah. That's why he wasn't accepted by his friend group. He couldn't figure it out. (laughs) That's why they left him. My first thought was like, is this like a throwback, like New York Giants hat that he's wearing? Nope. It says SF on it. It's San Francisco. And that's definitely a New York Giants jersey. So Quickly, wardrobe guy, run down to Lids and get a t-shirt and a hat. They need to both be the same team. Uh, Giants and uh, Giants. I actually had a roommate, really good friend of mine, and he was one of these people who had so many, uh, he was just a huge sports nut, and he had jerseys and hats and stuff from different teams and stuff like that, and so yeah, he would wear, he's the only person I know like this, and I would say there's no person like this, but my good friend Kevin is this person, he would wear like a New Orleans Saints hat, and then like a Denver Broncos jersey, and then like have like a University of Tennessee watch on have a t-shirt on under that in case like you know that t-shirt was like a miami heat jersey i would say the closest i've ever come to committing that offense and it is kind of uh would be wearing a wvu hat where i went to school with an indianapolis Colts jersey no that's it i you can get away with that i think so uh, no that's what i'm saying i just like the only time i ever get close to that and i mean again that's college where i went and sports team that i most root for but still like that's the closest i go to crossing sports streams also do we buy this casting of young frank this is one of the biggest discrepancy between actors Uh, mary actually said she goes who's this kid i was like well that's frank when she's young he's like oh sorry i must have drifted out there it's like well no they don't look alike so uh joey uh do we like young frank Young Frank really came into his own when he became Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm not not a fan of, of Young Frank. I think he was kind of a dork. Yeah, he does seem whiny, for sure. You mean an Italian kid couldn't become a French kid? Come on, guys. Geographically, they're not that far apart. Belgium. Jean-Claude's Van, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Belgium. Belgium. Yes. Excuse me. That's okay. So Frank Du actually helped fight choreograph. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Frank to allegedly help choreograph the Bloodsport movie. And as Joey mentioned, he worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, he said, wasn't in good enough shape. And so he trained with Frank Du. Uh, dang it, Dukes. Uh, hey, Dukes, put your Dukes up. Yes. Van Damme was, even though he was in excellent shape, said that he was pushed to quite a limit. You know, it was hard work. Not only get into shape for this movie, but just to 
undergo training with the Frank Dukes. I saw a picture of Frank Dukes online. He doesn't look like he's in as good a shape as Jean-Claude Van Damme. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, huh. It's like telling somebody who's visibly in better shape than you, you're not in good enough shape to play me. Hmm. It's like in Rocky where he runs behind the truck. So Frank Dukes isn't doing anything. He's just pushing Jean-Claude. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Everything's allegedly with Frank Dukes. So what do we think about the soundtrack? I, I may have tipped my hand on this early, but uh, Joey, tell us why the soundtrack of Bloodsport is good. Hearts on Fire is the quintessential workout song. It's a great soundtrack. It fits the fighting, gets you pumped up, elicits emotions. I love it. Wouldn't change a thing. So we like songs like Fight to Survive and On My Own, performed by Stan Bush. Fight to Survive. Absolutely. So you can work out to this, and uh, like, like. Oh yeah, ne- I, I think it's. I enjoy it. Okay. All right, Brian, where are you on this? I think if one of these songs were on at a gym, I would chuckle and continue on with my workout. But it's not. It's it's not on my playlist. Well, Bush's songs are actually replaced on the actual soundtrack, which got released later with alternate versions sung by Paul Delf, uh, which is uh, a strange name, Delf. That actually gets nominated for a Grammy for this work. So you guys are probably right, and I'm probably wrong, but I thought every song in this pulled me out of the moment. And I was sitting there like, they. one of the first things they do on day one is they go to a montage, and I can't believe, I'm just sitting there going like, what is this music? Maybe it's just me. Uh, you know, it, it, it goes with the times. I guess. I was alive in 88. I don't remember the world sucking that much to the point where the music yeah. had to be like that. Well, it's, it's similar music to like Rocky Four and a little bit like Karate Kid. And they all had these like kind of pump up, cheesy over the top songs. Okay. Look for this. This is part of the show where we get to give some obscure facts to find some hidden content. Joey, look for this. But the arcade game that Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jackson are playing is called Karate Champ from 1984. Which is a pretty old game by this point. It's uh, 1988 in this movie. So that was an old looking game even at this time. So uh, if, you, if you go back and look, it was like, oh, look how bad video games used to be. That's what people thought in 1990, sorry, in 1988 as well. Hmm. At that point, I believe Street Fighter is out, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check on that. I think Street Fighter 2 was going to be in the 90s. Ah, uh, the arcade game. Oh, yeah, yeah. So at this point, Street Fighter comes out in 1987. And it has hit the market already. So Karate Champ looks a little dated. Brian, look for this. Uh, I'm going to go a little weird on this one. So my look for this is less about Bloodsport and more about the up-and-coming star of Bloodsport 2 through 4. Uh, found out some interesting stuff about this guy. So it's Daniel Bernhardt, and he actually plays some parts in some movies that I, I really do like. Atomic Blonde. He's in John Wick. He's in the Netflix Netflix series Altered Carbon. He was in Logan, and he was also in um, Hunger Games Catching Fire. That makes 70 podcasts now that Brian has mentioned Atomic Blondin. <laughs> right. I try to I try to work it in in every single one. It's it it is it's like your it's like your little calling card like some like artist that might like paint like a carrot and to every like artist. It's gonna be a Kevin Bacon. It's, it's like how can I relate this podcast to Atomic Blonde? 
and for my look for this moment, uh, Midway's Mortal Kombat from 1992 takes an enormous amount of inspiration from this film. The film creators actually based the character Johnny Cage on Jean-Claude Van Damme's character. And so according to game creator John Tobias, they wanted to make a gritty game based off the spirit of Bloodsport. And so without this movie, we wouldn't have great video games like Mortal Kombat, and we certainly wouldn't have the movie. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love that the, you've noticed that Johnny Cage's famous split crotch punch that, you know, you see Frank Dukes do it in this movie. Yep, that's not a coincidence. Although Johnny Cage is not usually the most likable character to most people, but who knows, maybe back then they thought he would become the most popular. So Time to hand out some awards, though. Joey, you ready? Yeah. All right, you start us off, MVP. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Frank Dukes. Can't go wrong with that. For without him, there would be no movie because it wouldn't have been edited and it would have probably gotten stalled in production and wouldn't have actually reached the light of day. So I'm with you. Brian, MVP. I'm going Donald Gibb on this one just because he, like, toward the end of the movie was hands down one of the most amusing pieces to me because everybody needs that drunk, obnoxious American friend. Nerds! Nerds! Best supporting actor, Joey. Bolo Yang. Chong Lee. I'm... Man, we're we're stride for stride so far, two for two. I'm I'm with you on Bolo yeah. on that one. We're 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 going all three with Bolo. Okay, and his amazing pectoral control. Yeah, I, I somehow can't like again. If you if you were to film this today, I might put Terry Crews in there just because who else can make their like their chest like oh yeah bounce like that? He's got it jumping jumping too. Yeah, although he actually might be a good Jackson. Who is your hidden gem, Joey? Uh, Ken Sweet also plays Victor. He was hilarious and does a great job. That's a good choice. Brian, who's your hidden gem? I actually have that as well. Uh, he's like, you guys are killing me here. Just wait one more minute. <laughs> for me, I'm going to go for the deep cut. I like the blood, uh, the blood and sweat mop guy who pockets the golden tooth <laughs> that gets knocked out from the Arab guy. Because he looks so like happy. Like, and they, Again, this is one of those directorial decisions that's just like, this blood mop guy is getting a lot of screen time. He's like, he's like, oh, a golden <laughs> tooth. What do we have here? Is it real? That probably gets him a double ra- uh, double room in the walled city. I don't know. I just this there's, this was a little piece of comic relief I actually really liked, and so he gets my hidden gem. Not really on the cast, so good job, sweat and blood mop guy. Recast Joey. Well, I know you're gonna hate me this for this fry, but uh, Gibbs, I would recast him. I, I can't stand that guy. Okay. All right, and who, who are you? Yeah, who'd you? Oh, no, I have to come up with a guy to recast them with. Ideally, Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant would be awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Andre the Giant. That, actually, that'd be good. He was big back then. That would be uh, yeah. yeah. I'll give it some more thought. If I come up with something better, I'll let you know. No, that that's good, Brian. <laughs> who, who's your recast? Let's see, my recast would be. I would love to see this movie redone, like four times with each of the major action stars of the day so we could watch them all and then pass judgment on who has the best blood sport. Interesting. I'm going to go with Norman Burton. He plays the government, the gray-haired government guy who's basically trying to get Frank Dukes to not fight. He plays Helmer is his character's name. I don't like him. He like actually seems like he's zoned out in the middle of the Kumute and doesn't seem like he... like. Force Whitaker's into it and like looks like he, you know Janice is into it and like he just looks like he's like, uh, you know we're you know we're filming right, 
Uh, and there's there's other times where he just comes out flat. And so I want somebody goofy on this because they kind of go with like a Mentos commercial approach. Like when Frank, uh, when they can't catch Frank and he's like running away from them. Again, it's got goofy music playing and these guys are chasing after them. So I'm going to go a little step funnier, a little step goofier. And I'm going to make this American military superior goofier. I'm going to put Alan Alda in his shoes. Hey, I've got a uh, I've got another option for you, Joey. For a Gib replacement. Who you got? You should go with Steve Rackman, best known for his portrayal of Donk in Crocodile Dundee 2. Oh, yeah. He looks good. You don't need a gun when you got a Donk. What's a Donk? <laughs> donk. Crap. <laughs> oh, uh, he'd be good. Good time period, too, for that. Best shot, Joey. Oh, easily um, when he's meditating and doing a split with the Hong Kong skyline in the background. Iconic. Absolutely. And Brian, what about you? Best shot is going to be the over-the-top, I'm mastering being blind scene. (laughs) Are you for real? Yeah, I'm going against the grain just because it made me laugh. (laughs) And he's shaking his hands over his head almost as if he's doing the hokey pokey. But it's in yeah, slow mo. He's got he's to pull that chi back together, man. You got your left eye blind. You got your right eye blind. You do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. I'm almost surprised he didn't do a split to like recenter himself. <laughs> that would be, put us at eight splits. Yeah, I would prefer to go back into a flashback <laughs> of his sensei, like, you know, like showing him, like, pour the tea blind, hit the board blind, break the brick blind. <laughs> and then, like, he comes forward and he's like, Ah, I'm centered. But instead, all we get is a long 15-second shot, like with his mouth, like, agape. Did anybody else take another thing away from this scene that Jean-Claude Van Damme Damme has very small teeth? I did not notice that. I did not notice that. I think his muscles are so big that that you can't, like, work your teeth out and make them bigger. If he could, he would lift those weights, too. Yeah, he's known for the biceps, not the teeth. Okay. Your, Your puny teeth look so big because your body is so small. (laughs) <laughs> you must get pumped and ripped with your hams and your glutes and the and the biceps. My best shot is going to also be what Joey said, the meditating scene where, he, again, he's doing a split, and it's an inspiring shot overlooking Hong Kong. So uh, I'm going to go with Joey on this one. Best scene, Joey. Oh, I mean, obviously, the climax, Bolo vs. Dukes. You wait for it the whole movie, and it pays off. Yes. Man, we're stride for stride on this one. Uh, <laughs> this is bad radio, but I, I'm, I'm just with you. Did anybody else know that if you crush a Tums in your hand, you can blind somebody with a powder? I did not know that. <laughs> is that what that was? Is that Tums? Looks like oh, it. I don't know. Just or maybe it's Mentos. It. <laughs> Again, maybe this is one big Mentos commercial. Like he's trying to get away from like the government, like people coming after him. Like and like this guy's like, it's like Mentos cool in your eye. <laughs> Brian, best scene. My favorite scene is probably when he first arrives there. They do this kind of montage of him arriving and and that feeling of competition. I think they do a good job just getting you ready and the energy to the fight. Okay. And I'm with Joey on that one. Like I said, he nailed the best scene for me, too. So uh, change one thing in this movie, Joey. So Chun Lee kills Jackson in the fight instead of just knocking him unconscious. Oh, wow. We're going dark on that one. Ooh, vengeance. How do you end the movie then? Because, uh, like, they end the movie on, like, a get well soon. Well, he still, gets, <laughs> he still avenges his friend. And maybe you know, he's standing like, over his grave with the, the bandana and he puts the bandana on the grave. As the sun's setting. And Janice is by inside. You're, you're a real champion. 
And then he does a split. Okay. With his katana in his hand, too. Because you have to earn that katana. You can't steal that. Yeah. Can't steal a katana. Brian, change one thing. My change one thing, and we touched upon it earlier. I was actually surprised it got brought up already, but I would have loved to see the big guy lose to the um, interesting low center of gravity martial art fighter. Yeah, I don't know. Is this is this an actual style of fighting? Because I, I just found it very interesting. I, I don't know if it is or not, but it was awesome. I loved watching it. Yeah. He, yeah, he, agree. He's like a rubber band man. I, I, I dug it. I don't think he would have fallen for the bear hug. As, as that, that turned out. Yeah. Monkey Kung Fu is what it's called. Oh, that's real. Okay, that's actually interesting then. Per Wikipedia. Okay, uh, that's, that's legitimate. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> My change one thing on this is going to be, and, and I, I want to reemphasize this in all capital letters, the soundtrack. Every song I want to replace with another song. <laughs> so what, what kind of soundtrack would you put in there? I definitely, when you're going through the fight scenes. Are you thinking all score? Just a score. Yeah, I was going to say, when you're fighting, I do not want lyrics brought into the day one fight montage. I want just instrumental, like intense instrumental stuff on that. So, yeah, I'm actually thinking just tone down the music. Again, the Mentos chase scene where Forrest Whitaker and like other, this other American guy fall in the water. Like, I'm not sure that tone in the movie fits. I would prefer a more dashing getaway there. So I'm, I'm actually thinking about rewriting the song there as well and just going with something actually like... Show me different show me different parts of Hong Kong because I enjoyed the context they showed so much. So take me around town as these guys are following them around and make a day of it, so to speak. That you're right. I, I thought that whole side story was kind of kind of ridiculous, but you make a good point that it does show off Hong Kong. I love seeing the floating market and the city. So yeah, I guess there is a point to have it in there. Best quote, Joey. Official, we honor your invitation. Jackson, no shit you honor his invitation. Chong Lee. Very good, but brick not hit back. So that's after he uh, breaks the brick with the death punch, which was awesome. Yes, I'm sure he. That's part of his very accurate story too. I broke the six brick down <laughs> with the death touch. Right, <laughs> Brian. What's your best quote? Aren't you a little young for full contact? Aren't you a little old for video games? That's a good one. I, I did like that one. And then they were friends. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Tanaka saying, "You cannot take katana sword by stealing. It is very special sword." You must earn it. Deep stuff from Tanaka. Joey, is there anything you want to plug? Eat healthy and exercise regularly to prevent diabetes. I like it. We've come full circle. It's time for the moment of truth. On a five-star scale, Joey, what do you rate Bloodsport from 1988? Four out of five. I like it. Got a little bit of nostalgic love for you in there as, as part of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Brian, how about you? Bloodsport, five-star scale. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I love this movie, and probably just because you guys like the soundtrack and I don't, and that's probably where we differ, I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm just a little bit behind you guys, so. That's fine. Yeah. Brian, do you want to help me select a movie for next time? Yeah, let's do it. Pretty exciting. We're going to have a special guest coming on next week. Uh, We're going to venture into one of my favorite shows. We're going to do a Saturday Night Live-based movie. Uh, So uh, these are productions from Saturday Night Live. So option number one, 1992, Wayne's World. Two slacker friends try to promote their public access cable show. Option two, the ladies' man from 2000. The Saturday Night Live character gets a big screen treatment. Option three, Coneheads from 1993. Aliens with conical crania crash land on Earth and start a family. I think we got to go Wayne's World on this one. Excellent. All right. So, Joey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope you had fun, and uh, thanks for joining us, man. 
All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Brian, thanks as always to you. Thank you, man. Always a pleasure. Remember, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Give us a like on Facebook so you can follow along and see what we're doing next. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Those subscribes and ratings and reviews, those help the show do well. So please give us a happy five-star review. And always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? We're not that drunk. <laughs>